are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-19 through 19. Suffering for being a Christian Dear friends, do not be surprised at the finery ordeal that has come to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. Thanks, Heather, for reading scripture for us. Good morning, everyone. This is Bjorn, and I am bringing the message to you this morning from one of the last places in our house in this crazy pandemic season that I have not yet given a message in. I'm in our crawl space in the basement, and I wanted to pick this spot for this morning for a very specific reason that you'll see at the end of the message. This is certainly one of the most uncomfortable rooms in the house. It's usually pretty dark, kind of spooky. I can't stand up in here. I can't tell you the number of times I have hit my head trying to crawl in and out of the crawl space, but I hope that it will be memorable for you, especially as we reach the end of the message. Heather just read for us from 1 Peter chapter 4. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 5 for our very last message of this series for the summer. Summer's winding down, and back to school is here, as we shared our back to school blessing this morning. And yet, back to school is feeling anything but familiar to us this year. Lots of tough decisions, lots of hard conversations, lots of unknowns. And it would be easy to have the stress and emotion and the debating overshadow the school year. But we get to be a different kind of people, don't we? Uh, not because we have it all figured out, but simply because we follow Jesus. And we get to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So when you enter a conversation, you are bringing a breath of fresh air. When you are facing uncertainty at work, people are seeing in you this kind of unusual peace. When you get into a tough situation, your first instinct is to seek the Lord in prayer. Parents who have kids going back to school, what if every one of us said to our kids, teachers and principals this year, what if we said, hey, I just want you to know that I am praying for you. And if there's any way that I can support you or encourage you, please just let me know. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Y Church became known for its prayer and encouragement this year? Uh, we get to be a people of extraordinary grace, and it's only because we have first received the extraordinary grace that was given to us in Christ. I'm forgiven, I am redeemed, and that puts everything else into perspective. So as we turn to this passage today, 
we get exactly this kind of dynamic that's put in front of us. We get to do the unexpected, even in the face of suffering. And so I've entitled our message today, Not Surprised, But Rejoicing. Not Surprised, But Rejoicing. Now, in the context of these verses, and indeed this whole book, it is about suffering for following Christ. That's what was happening to the original readers that Peter was writing this letter to. And that is certainly the first ring of application and something we'll talk about here and there throughout the message. But there's also a second ring of application that I want to discuss this morning. And that is suffering in general. When I'm facing cancer, when a friend from school passes away, when I lose my job, when my finances fall apart, or when a relationship splinters. So hold both of these things in view today. Suffering for Christ, which is the immediate context, and also those other kinds of suffering. And the reason that we can do this is that the principles that we find for the first also happen to undergird suffering in that second sense. The effects of sin in the world, the reality of spiritual opposition, the ultimate sovereignty of God his faithfulness, his strength in our weakness, his purpose in suffering, and his calling on your life to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That connects these two. So have them both in view, suffering for Christ, and then a more general sense of suffering. The first of those is, of course, far less familiar to us living in our time and place, but it is of vital importance for the church in any age. We live in a time where, more or less, being Christian has been socially acceptable. We have not been imprisoned or persecuted or executed for our faith. But we do notice, don't we, this, this shifting, the winds of change in our culture over these years? And as you follow Jesus and live under the authority of God's word, then you find yourself increasingly at odds with American culture. And who knows what coming years and decades and generations might look like in this country. And I don't say that in a fearful sense. We're praying for spiritual revival for this nation. But we also have to ask ourselves, am I prepared for spiritual oppression? Certainly in other places of the world, there are at this time, on this very day, people who are following Christ, whose very lives are in jeopardy. There are underground churches who today, on this Sunday, have met secretly, quietly to worship. There are places in the world you could lose your job or have your property confiscated if you profess faith in Jesus. There are places where you would be disowned by your family if you were to be baptized. These are sobering times that we live in. And I say that as kind of a preview to next Sunday's Labor Day weekend, next Sunday's message when we'll be in chapter five, where Peter says, Be alert and sober-minded. And so we pick up our text today with a sense of earnestness and timeliness about this text. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter 4. We'll start there in verse 12, as Heather read it for us. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. That's Peter's first exhortation. Don't be surprised. Which, of course, is an indication that some of his original readers were quite surprised to find themselves suffering. This is not what they signed up for. Maybe they were thinking, well, doesn't being a Christian mean that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life? And that sometimes can be our default theology, isn't it? 
we think suffering is kind of the anomaly. Peter says, as if something strange were happening to you. Like this isn't the normal state of affairs and, and suffering is an interruption into our life, something that we would want to avoid as much as possible. And if it does happen, then to get through it and over it as quickly as possible. I think that's one of the things that's been so aggravating about 2020 is that we now have been in this prolonged state of difficulty and we're just waiting to get back to normal and there is no quick fix. There is a character quality that's called long suffering and it is unfamiliar in our culture. But some of you, some of you know long suffering and you have lived it in your own life. Some of you are facing a situation even now where there is no quick fix. There's no fix at all. I was recently visiting a dear couple from church. We were visiting outside on their patio one evening and they're facing a medical diagnosis with no fix. I mean, barring some miraculous healing, they are dealing with the progression of a disease. And they talked about that reality that there is no going backwards. Even if it slows down or there is a pause, it never gets better. And so they are having to speak in terms of life expectancy. How many years do we have left? And what will those years look like? Those aren't easy questions, but this is a couple who is living out what it means to be long-suffering. And they have not taken offense at the Lord. They inspire me so much. Peter says to us, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. There was a man I want to tell you about who lived in the early church. His name was Polycarp, a very memorable name. And Polycarp was in this critical transition period where the original apostles were aging and dying. Church leadership was being given to the second generation. That was Polycarp's time. He was born in about 69 AD, and he knew some of Jesus' disciples and was even personally taught and mentored by the Apostle John. And Polycarp played this significant role in the second century church and lived to the ripe old age of 86 when he was suddenly arrested. And his friends had sent warning ahead to him that he should urgently flee and that the Roman soldiers were coming for his arrest. But Polycarp stayed home and waited patiently for their arrival and, in fact, opened the front door and greeted them when they arrived. The Roman soldiers took him into custody, took him to the arena where the proconsul interrogated him and threatened him before an audience. And he told him to offer incense to Caesar, saying, Take the oath and I'll release you. Curse Christ. To which Polycarp replied, listen to this. 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And with that, I'll spare you the details, but Polycarp was burned at the stake. And he died in prayer, praying out loud. The eyewitness accounts say that his death, dying in this manner, was remembered by everyone. Quote, he is even spoken of by the heathen in every place. Polycarp wasn't surprised. He was ready. And not just ready, but rejoicing. Peter says in our passage, don't be surprised by this fiery ordeal, but rejoice. 
And he continues in verse 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If anything is surprising here, it might be that our response to suffering is to rejoice. Our instinct is to get over it as soon as possible. I mean, to avoid suffering at all costs. You know, think about Polycarp's story. Couldn't he have just said the words and lit the incense to Caesar and just kind of faked it? You know, had his fingers crossed behind his back and then later told his friends, you know, hey, don't worry, I still believe in Jesus, just had to get out of a jam. You know, I mean, big picture, wouldn't it have been worth it to have him still leading and serving in the church rather than to die so graphically? Peter says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Our ordinary responses just won't do here. How do you and I tend to respond to an unfortunate or painful turn of events in our life? I think of some of the common responses we might have. We might wonder if God is actually still in control of this situation. And if he is, well, we might wonder, did I do something that he didn't like? Have I not lived good enough? And so he's punishing me. Or we might wonder in suffering if he actually even cares or has he just walked away from this all. You might even wonder, does God even exist? I mean, maybe it's just the luck of the draw. And there's really no rhyme or reason to it. There is no greater purpose. And and life just dealt you a bad hand. Suffering begs for an answer, doesn't it? And one way or another, you have to respond to it. First Peter commentator Karen Jobes writes, Trouble and difficult times raise hard questions about our relationship with God and about his intent and character. And so it is that you might be having to answer hard questions right now. God's word this morning gives you this instruction. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And note carefully, the Christian doesn't rejoice in suffering for the sake of suffering. That would be absurd. I mean, Polycarp, he would have been very happy to celebrate his 87th birthday that year. But he rejoiced to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And that's the key. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. What does it mean, though, to participate in the sufferings of Christ? We can't add to his suffering on the cross or his suffering for sin. That's not something we can chip in on or split the tab or at least get the tip, whatever that proposal might be. That price is paid in full. We can't touch that bill. We are completely forgiven by Christ's atoning death on the cross. So if that's not it, what does it mean to participate in the sufferings of Christ? Well, it means when we suffer, we actually identify with his suffering and become more like him. Our own suffering becomes a way to become more like him, to know him who suffered for us and to increase our intimacy with Christ. Have you ever noticed how some of the most profound and faithful people are those who have lived a lot of tough years, people who have suffered greatly. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's because they have participated in the sufferings of Christ. So Peter says, 
don't be surprised. Don't bristle at it or, or balk at it, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And then he adds, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So rejoicing in present suffering prepares you for even more joy up ahead. Rejoicing has this multiplying effect on joy. It's like compound interest, and it's just building up and building up until the day that Christ returns, and and your rejoicing will pay out an even greater joy than you could ever imagine having on earth. That doesn't make it easy to endure suffering or to endure pain. And I think a more likely response when we find ourselves in that place is bitterness or despair. But the Bible calls us to joy. James, Jesus' brother, said it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, he says. That's not normal. I mean, if that's how you live, it will turn heads. It will get people noticing. They'll see Christ in you. I wonder how many people came to faith in Jesus because of how Polycarp died. So rejoicing, it leads to greater joy. And then the unexpected keeps coming up. Peter says in the next verse in 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed, it says. I was walking into a store the other day, and I saw someone with a t-shirt, and the front of the t-shirt said, thankful, grateful, blessed. Three big words all down the front. And by the way, I've seen this shirt before, or maybe I've seen like internet memes or coffee mugs with it. But if you have this shirt, there's nothing wrong with it. Please keep wearing it. But in that moment, I wondered to myself, but what do we mean by it? What do we mean by it? Culturally, we sometimes use the word blessed to describe a good life, money in the bank, happy marriage, great kids, nice house with a white picket fence. But biblically, Peter says you are blessed when people insult you on account of Christ. I'm pretty sure that is not what that t-shirt has in mind. But Peter has in mind what he heard Jesus say those years ago in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. So you see, suffering is an opportunity for blessing. Have you ever thought about it that way? Suffering is an opportunity for blessing. In suffering, you are in a sense poised with your hands wide open and ready to receive the Lord's blessing. A few years ago, I remember, I think it was like on Jimmy Fallon at night, I saw Chance the Rapper sing the song or rap the song that went like this. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. And that's so easily the way that we think it works with God. Like we make this little deal, God, I'm going to send my praises up and in exchange, then you send your blessings down into my life. And then all of a sudden, when that's not happening, we wonder why God isn't keeping up his end of the bargain. Peter says, that is not the way it works. That's not what blessing means. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
And then in verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You know, the term Christian was not originally used in a very nice sense. It was a derogatory term used by the Romans. And they used this word to mock those who are following the way of Jesus. And so literally it means little Christs. Peter says, praise God that you bear that name as a Christian. And we see Peter model this in his own life. I love the story in Acts chapter 5, where he and some other apostles are standing trial before the court in Jerusalem. And in the end, the high priest has interrogated them. They're flogged. They're told to never speak in the name of Jesus again, and they're released. And Acts 5.41 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I know my first instinct in suffering is to ask, why me? Why me? But Peter's response is, praise God. Praise God that he would consider me worthy. Peter says to us, don't be surprised, but rejoice. And then in verse 19, he draws this final conclusion and he writes, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Rejoicing isn't a feeling, it's an action. And we carry it out when we commit ourselves to our sovereign, faithful God, and we continue to do good. Or in other words, I put it like this for us this Sunday. When you suffer for Christ, rejoice, trusting God and doing what is good. Well, when we're enduring hardship, as we summarize the message this morning, I think it can be easy to question God's faithfulness. It can be easy to fixate on ourselves. This year, I have found myself kind of going into crisis mode and, and just having this focus of riding out the storm. But I'm reminded this week that God is just as faithful this year as he was last year. And 2020 and what's left of it here cannot be about just waiting out a pandemic so we can get back to normal life. No, the church is not called to this kind of life, but it's called to rejoice and participate, to suffer, to receive blessing, and to praise God. This is not a time for us to shrink back in fear, but it's a time to step forward in faith. It's a time to suffer well, if you can imagine such a thing. I want to leave you with this picture from Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scottish pastor in the 1600s. And it's this picture I want to leave with you and for this reason that I'm in our crawl space in the basement this morning. Samuel Rutherford said this, When I am in the cellars of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. When I am in the cellars of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. My brothers and sisters, are you in the cellar of affliction right now? Then remember that the great king keeps his best wine there. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Let's pray. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, what can we do but praise you today? You sent your Son to suffer for our sins so that we are fully forgiven and free. Father, when we face trials now in our own lives, would you give us the strength to suffer well, to endure for your glory and for our greater joy? We long to know you and to be more like our Savior so that whatever comes our way, Christ may be formed in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.